Welcome to another edition of the Learning Journey podcast. Mark Draper is our guest. We'll welcome him first and tell you a little bit about him. Hey, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Wayne. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm very much looking forward to our chat today because you've got a a legacy of aviation, I'm going to call it, that goes right back to your grandfather. So I'm looking forward to unpacking that. Before we do any of that, though, you are a, a lame. For those that might not be familiar with that, what is your role there in Uganda? Yeah, so I'm a licensed aircraft maintenance engineer. And yeah, so my, my job's to keep the aircraft here in Uganda flying. So I work with a team of guys and every day we pull an aeroplane in, we kind of take it apart, make sure everything's okay, and then uh, then roll it back out again so the pilots can use it and uh, serve the people of Uganda. So is every day the same or is every day different when it comes to your role in Uganda? No, it's actually really different almost every day. Um, I feel so blessed to be here in terms of the amount of different um, things we do on the aeroplanes keeps life really interesting, to be honest. So, you know, one day you'll be doing like a structures repair on something. Uh, Another day you'll be uh, doing some work on the engine or doing some work on the avionics, the autopilots and things like that. And we have different types of aircraft here as well. So we've got um, four Cessna caravans. Then we've got a 206 and a couple of 182s. Yeah, it's uh, it keeps things interesting, kind of being able to kind of switch between the aircraft. Uh, yeah, sometimes you kind of have to switch your brain and go, right, okay, what are we doing today? And keep up to speed with it. So yeah, really enjoying that. So how do you approach, say, like you've got a problem maybe that you either haven't experienced before or it's been a long, long time. So it's kind of one of those things where it might be in the deep, dark, uh, empty void where our memory is. How do you go about kind of recalling stuff that you've learned, but it was a long time ago? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. So um, before I joined math, I was working on airliners and business jets and things. And so pretty much every day here is a learning new day for me. So um, some skills are kind of recalled from the past, kind of a lot of it's training that I'd done previously in my career. But there's a lot of stuff here that, um, yeah, I'm kind of almost learning for the first time because having never worked on these aeroplanes before. I mean, we're so blessed here to have some really experienced engineers who have been doing this for a very long time. And so, you know, you we're able to go up to them and say, hey, you know, which way do we go with this problem? Or, you know, how do we go about that? And knowing where to dive into the manuals to find the right information in that. And yeah, there's some some problems that come up where, you know, as you say, it's something that's kind of from a long time ago. And you think, oh, I remember doing that somewhere. And, you know, so you have to go back to some notes or some manuals with a bit of dust on them, blow them off and, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, try and uh, things. But yeah, I mean, that is one of the great things that keeps it interesting here. So yeah, definitely enjoying that. So is one of the hard things then for you remembering which aircraft type you actually learnt that on? Because you've actually been involved in aviation for a period of time. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But like, is that one of the challenges for you? It's like, oh, now was that on the 737? Was that on the 206? Like, do you kind of go through that sort of process? In some ways, an aeroplane's an aeroplane. So the kind of the same hand skills and things you kind of use quite a lot, but um, they're kind of often applied in different ways. So you kind of realize that you kind of know the basics of how to do it, but but how is it done on this aeroplane? So I'm really careful to always make sure that I don't just assume that uh, it's the same on this aeroplane as it was on the last one. And so I always go back to the manual and make sure, you know, hey, are we doing this right? Is this the right way to go? And just because different aircraft match- manufacturers have different tapes on things and so you've always got to kind of check yourself and 
try not to do everything by memory, but um, it's kind of, I guess it's a balance of things you've learned, but also making sure that you're doing things by the right process. So. Yeah. Well, as someone who is mechanically challenged, I admire people like you, Mark, who can get in there and know what all the tools are and what all the bits and pieces are. You can take things apart. I can do that part. Putting it back together, that's my challenge. Yeah, that's the challenge, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it certainly is. Hey, I want to take you back in time to a book that I think was sort of pivotal to your journey. It was called Jungle Pilot. Now, that might not mean too much to a lot of people, but it's very significant for you. Can you tell us the story and why it's so important and really has been a a catalyst to get to where you are today? My family's kind of history with math goes back a a really long way. So um, my uh, first kind of introduction to math that my family had was um, actually with my grandfather. So he was working for um, British European Airways, um, which was what it was called before it became British Airways. And uh, one day he was uh, working in the hangar at Heathrow Airport and uh, Stuart King showed up with an aeroplane in a container that had just come over from the United States. And that was um, math's first Cessna 180. And uh, so my granddad was working at Heathrow for BEA and he was part of the Christian Union. Um, Him and the Christian Union team basically helped them put this aeroplane together. And then Betty Green and Stuart King, once it was all put back together, flew it off to South Sudan. So that was kind of my family's introduction to math back in 1956. My grandparents supported math and then my parents, um, my dad's hugely into aircraft and aviation. So I've always kind of grown up around that and being obsessed by aeroplanes. And um, when I was kind of in my teens, my dad said to me, oh, you you want to find out a bit more about math? Well, here's this book, Jungle Pilot. And um, it's the story of Nate Saint, who's a missionary pilot for math in Ecuador. And um, him and some of the guys he worked with were trying to reach out to this group of Indians um, who had not really been even exposed to the outside world before. You know, things started really well and... uh, yeah, but unfortunately, in the end, they were killed um, by the Indians they were trying to reach to. But amazingly, God worked through his grace. And, uh, you know, it's just an incredible story of then Nate's family and the other missionaries' families that were out there, you know, forgave the Indians and actually went back and shared the gospel with with these uh, guys and, um, yeah, had, have had such a lasting effect. And so I'm reading this story at like 14, 15 years old and just being like, oh, wow, you know, because I'd always been obsessed with aeroplanes. And so this was, you know, for me, I could mix my faith with my passion for aeroplanes. And, you know, I was just like, oh, that's that's what I want to do with my life. And I was just reading it and thinking, yeah, I'm going to join math. I'm going to be a pilot. That's kind of, that's where I'm going to go with my life. And uh, you know, God always sends us on a little bit of a journey in that. And uh, it actually transpired that I'm, I'm colorblind, so couldn't become a pilot in the end and so i think god kind of directed my passions towards engineering and that uh it's been a a very turning definitely not a straight line journey but a a turning journey and uh and here i am today you know serving with math in uganda so it's um it's amazing kind of closure of the circle i guess and i think you're right that the journey with god is never straight you know we wish it was because you know that's kind of the quick way but he takes us on the long journey so you know, when you you were colorblind, couldn't become a pilot, even though, you know, that's something that you were passionate about. What did you sort of learn, I guess, about resilience or having to 
push through or having to like change focus or change direction? Because for some people that could be, oh, I can't become a pilot. I've got this medical condition. It's going to disqualify me from that. So I'm just not going to worry about it at all. But you continued to pursue a career in aviation by changing tack. I think there, there was definitely a time where I really struggled with that, actually. You know, it was clear that God had completely closed the door on me being a pilot and that. And for a while, that was quite a difficult thing. And um, the more you kind of push into God and you're kind of, you know, well, what, what is your purpose for my life? You've clearly closed that door to me. Over time, it just became more and more clear, actually, I, w- I want you to become an engineer. And I think the more you kind of push into that, and it's, I, d- I definitely feel it's like, you know, finding God's purpose for your life. And the more, the more I've kind of gone into that, the more I've been like, actually, you know, this is what I was supposed to be doing. Like, I wasn't supposed to fly them. And um, I kind of love that kind of relationship I get to have now with the pilots here and that, you know, I see them flying off and I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. And it's uh, great to be able to keep the, the aircraft flying. And, um, and I love the whole kind of intricacies of, you know, trying to fault find a problem and get your head around how things work. And so I definitely think the skills that God gave me were more that way than perhaps the flying ways. Yeah. I wonder for you, 2020, as I understand it, you're beginning your math journey there's this global pandemic that's happening kind of take us to that time and like what was going through your head and because I've spoken to a couple other people on the podcast who have been in a similar situation it's almost like the COVID pandemic was a catalyst for them to step forward into what God was calling them to yeah definitely Um, when COVID began I was working for an airline in the UK called EasyJet and uh, I was working as a power plant engineer. And then COVID hit and uh, the airline industry just absolutely stopped. And um, so overnight, kind of all of our airplanes were put on the ground. Staff were either laid off or put on furlough. You know, I was one of the lucky ones. I was um, put on furlough for three and a half months. And uh, although, you know, I had a, a good job at EasyJet and that, I wasn't entirely happy. There was something kind of missing in life. And then all of a sudden God put me off work and uh, you know I was in this situation where you know I wasn't entirely happy with the job that I was in but at the same time you know I didn't want to have no job and so I was in this really kind of strange place of you know wanting to keep my job but not really wanting my job (laughs) so COVID was um, you know in amongst trying to teach the kids and that and uh, keep things going at home I spent an awful lot of time just praying, you know, God, what is it you want me to do with the rest of my life? Because I just don't feel like I'm in the right place. I mean, God had clearly put me at EasyJet, but, you know, I just wasn't quite happy. So I was praying about it. And then one day I just subscribed to the Math YouTube channel and uh, decided to just watch one of the videos. Uh, and, and at this point, serving with Math had kind of fallen right to the back of my head. You know, I was very much, you know, in career mode, wasn't kind of thinking too much about that. And so I started watching this video on the Math YouTube channel, which was actually a memorial to Joyce Lynn, who's the pilot um, killed in Papua. And uh, she was just talking about, you know, serving God through her skills and her talents and how God had used her abilities to fly aeroplanes to serve him. And I just felt something kind of springing up in my spirit of, you know, it was almost like a return to a kind of calling that maybe God had put on my life, like many, many years before. And 
I was just just watching it going, you know, I want my life to count for something. I want to be able to work every day and know that what I'm doing is is for his kingdom kind of thing. And um, I just felt this almost urge to kind of apply for math. <laughs> so I went into the kitchen and said to my wife, you know, we spoke about math when we first got together and that. And, you know, I know it's a long time ago and it's never quite the right time. But what do you think about applying for math now? And to my utter astonishment, she turned around and said to me, yeah, I think now's the right time. And so we kind of then went to this place of, oh, okay, well, we're doing this then. Now, Mark, we touched earlier the impact that your dad had in terms of his love for aviation, the impact it's had on you, and I guess in a way has sort of steered you know, to where you are today. So I'm wondering, I think you've got three girls, if I'm correct, how they see dad, like, you know, packing the family up, leaving the UK, heading off to Africa to this strange place called Uganda. Obviously, you involved him in the conversation and the journey, but I'm interested in in sort of what they learnt from observing you as you had learnt some things from observing your father. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Uh, it was one thing we were kind of concerned about coming here was, you know, well, you know, Steph and I obviously feel a call on our life to come to here but the girls although they were kind of as you say involved in the conversations about it and everything like that and we all said we wanted to come together they are very much kind of following on after us and that and um, God's been amazing in just making sure that they've been plugged into the right schools making sure that they've kind of had um, the right kind of support around them and it's been great for them actually and they they love being here in terms of what they've learned I kind of hope that they kind of seeing that how important you know services and following after what God calls you to and I mean we often say to them you know life can take you on many different winding roads and it can be be a bit thing but as long as you're following after what God has for you then you know that's the important thing and I kind of hope that by you know us coming here and them seeing how God's looked after us as well he's just gone before us in every single thing Um, and we've had some amazing answers to prayer and that you know I kind of hope that's what they're seeing and that's kind of what's uh, coming out in their lives hopefully yeah awesome take us to landing in Uganda, very different than the UK, of course, and like those first sort of few months that you were there, like what were maybe two or three of the the things that really sort of stuck out for you and you're like, gee, this isn't like back home in the UK. This is a little bit different. Well, I mean, I could say everything, <laughs> but it's- uh, Well, that's why I said to limit it to two or three, because we could be here all day. You no, know, I, you know, it's been such an amazing place to come to. I mean, Steph and I had never actually been to Africa at all before we, when we joined MAPH and they said, oh, where do you want to serve? We said, wherever you need us, you send us where you need us and we'll go and- uh, And then when they came back and said Uganda, we were like, oh, right, wow, you know, do some Googling about what's what's happening in Uganda. and But no, I mean, the people here are so friendly. It's such a lovely place to be. And the culture is just so different. Um, Some things that I've learned are the way uh, Ugandans view life is just so different to, I think, from like a European context. I think in the in Europe we can and in the West in general, I think we can be quite task focused and I think we can be very much right, gotta get the job done, here we go. And I think relationships here are very much more relational, like it's about investing in people and you know, taking the time to, you know, have a quick chat and that. And I sometimes have to catch myself and say, you know, yeah, I've got to get this job done. But these guys here, I'm here to be with them. God's put me here with these guys, and so you need to build relationship with them as well. And they very much come at life from that kind of perspective. Perspective. like everyone looks out for everyone else and um, it's definitely I think we can learn a lot from that kind of cultural perspective 
Well, Mark, 20 minutes goes really, really quickly, and sadly, we are running out of time. But I want to talk about something that was in one of your recent newsletters, because it sort of touches on what you just mentioned in terms of connecting with the people in Uganda, the importance of relationship. You were driving back, I believe, from Safari, and you got bogged. Right. Yeah. You had some locals come and help you to extract your vehicle from being stuck in the mud. So I wonder if you can kind of just share that story for us, because I think it paints such a beautiful picture of working cross-culturally and the relationships that can be formed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, My wife's parents had come to visit us. And um, obviously, one of the main things to see here here in Africa is, you know, go on safari. So we'd gone out to Murchison Falls National Park. And um, we were staying in this hotel and just as we were about to leave, the heavens opened and it must have rained for about two, two or three hours straight, like really heavy, proper wet season downfall. And so we, we decided we'd wait to leave and go home until the rains had stopped. And eventually they stopped. And the hotel manager came to see us just before we left and said, uh, there is a track out towards the main road, which is nice and short. And, but, you know, it gets really boggy in that. And, you know, you know, I just warn you about that. And, and I said, ah, it'll be all right. We'll be okay. We've got a four by four. And so I had, um, obviously, Steph and I, my three girls and my parents-in-law in the car. And so we set off down this uh, dirt track. And as we got to the bottom, you could just see these big puddles and this mud. And and there was another four by four, which I think must have had much better tires than we did, had gone through before. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll give it a go and see what happens. So, you know, into low four and make sure everything was set up for the car. And so took it really slowly. But just within seconds, you just we were going sideways and it was, yeah, we were just stuck. And then eventually the wheels were just spinning and I was like, oh, no. And I looked around and there was nobody anywhere. And I was just, I was like, oh, no, what are we going to do? We're stuck in the middle of the African bush here, you know, in, in mud, like no one's around. And uh, I was I was starting to panic thinking, oh, what, how am I going to get us out of this one? Just as I was panicking and praying fervently under my breath, this guy kind of came out of the trees and started walking down the road towards us with this big smile on his face. And I'm sure Ugandans have seen many, many Westerners stuck in these kind of conditions before. And so he said, oh, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I'll help you get out. And uh, so he started putting vegetation that under the wheels and him and I were trying to kind of dig the wheels out and that. And, uh, but it still was absolutely stuck. And I was like, oh no, what's going to happen? And then about five minutes later, about 30 people from, I guess they must have been from like a local village or something, just started appearing out of nowhere. It was almost like, you know, this unusual event was uh, kind of attracting people. Uh, And so about five minutes later, we had about 30 people around the car and they were like, you you give it gas, we'll push you out, it'll be fine. And so, you know, I gave it something and they're pushing and pushing and eventually we got out and, um, you know, we're able to continue on our journey. But it really, you know, completely showed to me how um, very much they come together as a community here. Like, you know, I mean, it sounds really bad, but I kind of sometimes think, you know, in the UK, if you get stuck like that, you know, I'm sure there'd be more people that drove by that would bother to get out and come and help and but these guys were you know and they were covered in mud they were not this was not kind of a free thing for them they were absolutely covered in mud by the end of it but they were all just so happy and you know giving us high fives and stuff like that and it was just this felt this real kind of thing of you know there's a problem we come together as a community and we we sort it out yeah sometimes the lessons we learn 
I learned the hard way, and yeah, sometimes we learn them just a little bit easier. But yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure, Mark, next time you're in your four-wheel drive and someone says, you can't take that road, you'll have learned that lesson. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I think I'll uh, listen to wise advice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, thank you so much for joining us on The Learning Journey. Sadly, we are out of time, but really appreciate you making some time on a uh, Thursday morning to have a chat with us. Mark Draper, thanks for your company. Thanks, Wayne. I really appreciate it. It was good fun to talk to you. It was a lot of fun to have Mark Draper share his journey to Uganda in this episode of the podcast. And Mark is such a great example of the legacy that has been left by previous generations, but also the opportunity that we all have to inspire the generations to come. Now, you can find some excellent resources to help you do that on Right Now Media with teaching courses from the likes of Billy Graham and David Glass. Simply contact us via learning.development at mafint.org to get access to Right Now Media if you don't have it already. Or you can also contact us if you've got a story you'd love to share on a future episode of The Learning Journey. Next time on the podcast, our guest is my colleague Deirdre Folks as she shares her insight into training, learning and so much more. We look forward to your company then.